So here today with Tyler Latwila and Godi. What's your last name? How do you, GB. GB. Yeah. Godi GB. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Okay. Um, and we're going to be talking about um, relatively contentious topic. Um, do you guys want to go over what you've done recently with the like biopic and? Yeah, for sure. Um, we had a group UBIA start a couple months ago mm-hmm. with uh, Tyler and me and a few other student athletes from state, and the purpose was to create a safe space for student athletes within Calgary, but also to spread awareness at the same time so people are aware this thing is happening, and not just only in the states but also in Canada. And I just think it was really important too because this has been happening for so long, and all of us keep seeing this, and it was like enough is enough because we sit here every day in our lives almost like trying to walk on the streets without feeling like scared or almost like just looking up at our backs because if the police comes and assumes something then we don't know what's going to happen so yeah yeah we yeah we so ubiaa stands for united black and indigenous athletes association and we like it all came about like obviously all this stuff started with george floyd Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. again like George Floyd was just one incident of many that happen every day in the States and around the world. But, um, we also happened to be going through a pandemic and everyone was just watching at that point and everyone had time to go out and speak. And, um, so I think for a lot of athletes of color, it kind of woke us up to, to the other things happening and, uh, in our day-to-day lives and in our athletic institutions as well. So um, there was a number of us who started speaking out on Instagram, which had has like never been seen before because there's obviously a huge power imbalance between a student athlete and their athletic institution or even their educational institution. Mm-hmm. So we, like myself, uh, a lot of state athletes started tagging state and these stories and being like, why aren't you guys saying anything? Um, particularly a lot of our black and indigenous athletes were like, what's going on? Like we see this now and we, and there are other people speaking up. So other people felt empowered to talk. Um, Godi went to the news, like he, he had a, um, news article on, on CBC, a uh, news article on Calgary Herald and Calgary, Calgary Sun. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was to talk about how our institution did the same thing. They just put a blank statement. And all the student athletes got so angry about it. So we went up and tried to get our president to speak to us. And we tried for a couple of weeks. And once he saw that, he was like, okay, let's have a meeting. Because he saw we were frustrated, angry, just disappointed that a school that says we belong didn't show we belong in every race or just people with different ethnicity and color. So Mm -hmm. I think it was important that we did that. And there was a lot of negative comments on there like 610 on facebook by a lot of like white people who don't understand but there's also like positivity with student athletes from our school like defending us and helping us with this so mm-hmm. yeah. and i remember reading chris kaiser's email to your guys's athletic director was that yeah. and he was kind of calling them out for a half-assed statement yeah so yeah that's, that's good you brought that up so um when all this stuff hit i started doing a lot of educating myself as well because um like I'm, I'm i'm polynesian my background i grew up in new zealand but um 
yeah experience grew up experiencing racism but not in the same way like we all experience it differently mm-hmm. i think um in this country black and indigenous people suffer the most and and are the drowning they're in the most pain but i can somewhat relate to it anyways i started doing a bit of educating speaking to a lot of people like i felt a lot of anger a lot of anxiety it's like what what can i do and uh i just i actually um emailed one of my old teachers from uh, high school in New Zealand who does this sort of work for the government in New Zealand. She goes around to schools and works on how to incorporate uh, Pacific Island and Maori students into the, or change the system to cater to those students because like these systems are all built. Any colonized country has a system built for white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why, like, why do, people of color suffer it's not because they're born that way it's just that the system that they're born into isn't made for them right so i had a zoom call with her and she she gave me a lot of stuff to read and and um she advised me not to talk to the athletic department right away Mm -hmm. um, because because i'm of color and because i feel have an emotional connection like she's i'm putting myself at risk by talking to them because there's a huge power imbalance and they haven't shown that they're, um, they've educated themselves. So if we go to them and say like, look, this, this sucks. Uh, like you're not doing anything for us. It gives them power to change the narrative. You know, it gives them power to say like, Hey, we listened to this person and they said everything's okay with them. You know what I mean? She said, uh, she advised me like, do you have any white teammates or white um, other white student athletes that have been working on themselves? Um, because they're the ones that need to be having the conversations. Like mm-hmm. People of color just aren't taken seriously when, on this topic. So that's when I called Chris uh, and he came over right away that night and I kind of talked to him. It's like, hey man, like, like you need to be, I know you're working on yourself. I know like we went to a protest together. Um, I was like, hey, you need to be the one speaking up because we're just, we just like, it's particularly like our, our, our black folks are just being seen as the angry black person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then he put that statement out and like, that was, that was great. Like, I think a lot of people um, were really happy about that. Like some of our members too told Chris, like, I'm really happy you, you did that. Mm-hmm. Did that get a response? No. Has anything changed in our institution yet? no but i think it was good for other white folks to see that like this is not our problem yeah like racism is not it's not the victim's problem like it's the problem of the system that mm-hmm. we're that we're in and it's the problem of um a lot of white people being racist that that's not when when someone experiences racism that's not their problem like you're not fixing their problem you're fixing whoever was doing it mm-hmm. so right yeah, it was, it was great of Chris to, to come out and do that. Yeah, I thought that was super duper cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you had a similar experience with MRU yeah. and the half-assed statement. Yeah, um, that statement, what happened afterwards was Jaron actually spoke to us. Mm-hmm. And he came to us wanting to have a meeting with all the student athletes with, of color. So Dolly, me, and a few other people came in and we spoke to our, well, my coach, uh, Dolly's coach, and a few other people. And it was a surreal experience because all of them said, I'm here to listen. We don't know what's going on. We don't have any like expertise on this. You need to talk to us because 
we want to make sure that your voices are heard. And just hearing that from an institution from Mount Royal after what was going on with our educational institution, um, it was a great feeling. It was such a great feeling because we knew change was coming within there, for sure. And we actually put some videos out a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. like every Thursday. Um, and we had three student athletes, me, a guy on the men's hockey team and a girl on the women's soccer team who's doing it. And then next week we're having a girl from the women's volleyball team mm -hmm. who's going to say what she has seen from BLM. And then we've been also been working on projects with U of T and around the country. And then we spoke with Mahal and we also spoke with the BCCA Association mm -hmm. just to work on some things. And they're doing this thing called a racial equity project, which is trying to see all the institutions around Canada and like seeing what's happening within like systemic racism within institutions like Mount Royal or SATE so they can have collective data and show like it, there is proof of it everywhere, not just in one spot or another institution. Right. Yeah. How do you guys, sorry, you go. Oh, well, I was just picking up, like we, when we spoke to um, Coach Lee from the BCCA, she, so she's founded the um, Black Canadian Coaches Association. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even know how I stumbled upon it, but um, like what she was doing was like, like, oh shit, this is what we should be doing. Like she's tackling her and uh, a group of coaches and she put together like a task force of student athletes mm -hmm. uh, tackling every school in, in the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, um, she's put together all these, these files, like it's beautifully written uh, to collect race-based data and um, to have some academia to mm -hmm. back up the like the fact that like black students are suffering, indigenous mm -hmm. students are suffering. Mm -hmm. Those two groups in in particular, and when we have her on our Zoom meetings and stuff, like uh, I don't know, it's just like a breath of fresh air having her, like someone, like I feel like an adult helping it, like you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like a kid, man. And she, she's yeah. just like you know, she's she's working her ass off and um listening to her speak it's like okay like you know there's so many different associations and groups that have popped up throughout this movement mm -hmm. and everyone is just willing to help each other and bounce ideas off each other it's a super like tight-knit community i guess yeah. like as soon as we find another group we'll message them like hey we're doing this out here we'd love to collaborate and mm -hmm. and yeah everyone's always willing to Mm -hmm. work out so it's safe how do you guys think that the bottom up process of change is occurring because obviously I think it is happening I've been listening to the audiobook of the Frederick Douglass yeah. biography mm -hmm. for the past forever it's just like such an intense listen and mm -hmm. I'll go back a lot and try to re-listen to actually understand what he's saying mm -hmm. and to me that feels like the grassroots abolitionist movement was Frederick Douglass and what he did through that and I can see a little bit of poetry in that repeating with the movements that are happening now mm -hmm. because it's all starting from not top government but it's all the people that are experiencing it and them bringing in other people and growing it from bottom up mm -hmm. and obviously you guys are large parts of that with the organizations that you're working with mm -hmm. and how do you think that that's impacting how what do you think the impact of that is as opposed to Obviously, a top-down can't really happen right now. That's kind of been shown throughout the history of Canada and the systemic racism that we've yeah. that we've experienced. And yeah, what do you guys think about that movement going upwards? I think it's huge. Mm -hmm. I think 
this is all new to me as well like mm-hmm. uh, there are days be- just being bottom up like I'm, I know Gody feels the same way it's like kind of feel a little powerless and then we have these meetings and we're like okay we, we, we can do this like we're mm-hmm. we're getting some momentum or we're making some changes um, at the like at the end of the day for the like racism exists because there's um, racist policy and there's racist power Mm-hmm. so there needs to be changes in those policies there needs to be changes in in power mm-hmm. um, and it's like I, it's just dope to see so many like these bottom up movements these grassroots movements it's it's great to see uh, minds starting to turn and everyone starting to question everything that's in place mm-hmm. so super important that this continues and there is like in terms of bottom up just at our level because i i think it's great that we took on some so, of this fight because just within our athletic institutions that feels to us like that's a fight that we can win mm-hmm. you know and you wouldn't even want it to be a fight right you want it to, you want to work with them ideally but yeah, it should be cooperative of, for yeah sure. but it's it's really hard for these departments to admit that they that racism just even exists mm-hmm. in their department which it's just clear to see mm-hmm. but and the cool thing about Bonin Up is that it's a community where all of us are working together, like seeing the movements that Martin Luther King Jr. did and how people were walking together, like side by side, and all of them working together before they were able to speak uh, by the Abraham Lincoln's like memorial in D.C. And it's like those things where if you did it top down, they would probably not care. Most institutions just looking at them and like just thinking oh, we can do this saying we've done this, but they haven't made any change. So by doing bottom-up, I think it's a way where people are listening to our voices and it's led by the people. It's not led by the people, like the people who are trying to like teach the other people. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, and that's like a cool thing to see. Like it's not just one institution that's doing this. It's like a community. It's like going from SAIT to Mount Royal, working together, then Calgary's coming involved. And then we might get other universities within Calgary or even within Alberta or beyond to get a part of this. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty sweet to see that. One thing I think that's happening is that's driving the macro change is just social media influence mm-hmm. and how accessible people are to one another. Mm-hmm. And now it's obviously you've you guys have found that woman that you were talking about that's now doing quantitative research mm-hmm. on uh, biopic in athletics. Mm-hmm. And then that's something that probably 30 years ago nobody would have ever been able to find each other through that mm-hmm. and it kind of feels like I, I, I would assume that maybe it felt like you were a lot more isolated before whereas now I can go on Instagram and I can go on any form of social media and always find people that are super progressive and working and shifting for change mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if a wide scale change that's this macro could have happened without the inception of social media mm-hmm. yeah I don't think I don't think nowadays it wouldn't like we needed that to happen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and i I think again like it's important to understand that um the pandemic hit and then george floyd and maude aubrey were murdered Mm -hmm. and the again like those cases aren't isolated it happens all the time right but everyone was just watching everyone just happened to be watching we're all on like some form of lockdown or quarantine 
so we could all hit like no one had to go to work you mm -hmm. we we protested out in calgary like by a town hall like through the streets of downtown three three times in one week like you would never see a protest on a weekday in the middle of the day like maybe ever again mm -hmm. unless something like aliens invade i don't know <laughs> but like so and and so i think like my my small battle started with Sate, mm -hmm. and that's just everything there um is quite symbolic of what happens on the larger scale mm -hmm. so um some forms of racism that exist systemically is our athletic department is completely white mm -hmm. um yeah. in terms of anyone in the office um any support staff or they're all white right and so if you're taking in students of color you have responsibility for their success how can they be successful how can you help them be successful if you only have one worldview in that department mm -hmm. or in the support stuff um and then there are some more um i don't want to say overt racism because i think all forms of racism are overt but you know uh our basketball our men's basketball team who are almost completely black who are much more heavily policed than other teams um you know the the way they would celebrate was um policed and um yeah just some other things off the court you know like the, like the awards and stuff and their speech kind of just like you're speaking well for a black man like what's that supposed to mean like yeah so it's like saying black men are barbaric and that just really sets off like alarms like so you're just treating me as a lawyer rather than a person that were the same almost yeah and and so like the this the symbolism that i see is like as a student athlete and we all know this you're just tired all the time like you mm -hmm. you have class um a lot of us work and then we have practice and games which is just like mentally taxing yeah so you add all that and then you add on that uh, an athlete is like is a bi is bipoc mm -hmm. um it's it's just another fight that you're like that i think um especially our, our black athletes that say that i just saw like you know i'm just tired I, i'm not gonna try and fight this and the ones that did um suffered for it okay i know that a couple athletes that did speak up um they you just saw subtle things happen to them like maybe less scholarship money right or you know maybe treated a little tougher with an injury that they had um whereas the ones who are what i i know in my fourth year i started to speak up less and less and whether i thought in my head that it was about race why i was speaking up um i know once i got i went quiet in my probably fourth and fifth year i just i was like i'm tired man i just want to play i just want to mm -hmm. ball out i don't want to add on this fight i started getting more scholarship money yeah mm -hmm. so whether or not that's you know there's some correlation there and mm -hmm. You know just institutions in general like that with all that power they don't like being spoken to they have all the power and then now we kind of came together we had the time and stuff to come together and speak out and it's a huge reason why we started the ubiaa is just because there's strength in numbers and mm -hmm. if we're all just speaking up individually it's, i don't think much is going to happen we're trying to actually change some policy mm -hmm. in the schools that we go to in mm -hmm. the athletic institutions yeah yeah, yeah. It's funny, my girlfriend is, so she's a teacher and 
throughout her degree, she found a lot of struggles with incorporating Indigenous studies into her curriculum, mm-hmm. and apparently lots of the lots of student teachers will try to actively avoid that, and they'll try to get out of that. And a, a part of it, she thinks, is that people are. It, it's it's such a huge thing to tackle, especially for someone of like so, someone that's Caucasian. It's really really difficult to comment on the struggles of someone else and actually do it justice. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that she's found difficult and something that she really strives for when she teaches is incorporating that and somehow trying to bring back culture. Because I remember when I was growing up through the like Calgary school system, mm-hmm. it was, all the social studies was, it was all indigenous but nothing culture. It was just telling us... Residential school. Exactly. Like basically but, like them almost like how they kind of survived or like some of those stories but never going into detail and no sit there. she like she tells me stuff about residential schools that absolutely blow my mind yeah. like i could never have imagined that those things happened and so we're not taught those things mm-hmm. and we're also not taught the culture at all so I, I don't think that it's i don't think that it's doing it any justice to not allow the culture to thrive through people now and also to teach about it because I just don't think we're learning about it in a productive way. Isn't that crazy? I, I It blows my mind that because indigenous history is Canadian history. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And if it's only taught in one perspective and it also inadvertently or straightforward makes indigenous people like it, it kind of, um, you have this perspective of them that they're lesser than, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's yeah. what the, education system teaches and what does it teach about black people it teaches them that they were slaves you know there's a much richer history before and after that and again that that plays a huge part i was part of one protest we marched down to the calgary board of education Mm -hmm. and demanding that um, black history be put into um into schools into the calgary education system Mm -hmm. and it's why I think why it's more mind-boggling to me is growing up in New Zealand, um, where Maori people who are the indigenous people of New Zealand, like yes, they struggle too. I think any colonized place, any colonized country, the indigenous people struggle. I think that happens in every right. colonized country in the world. But there, and I'm not super educated on like exactly what happened. I was taught it, but um, you know the way the Maori fought back has played some part in why the the uh, culture and history is still so rich in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Like, even just going into the airport, you'll see Māori culture all through the airport. Um, and we're taught Māori in school, like you're taught French here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, and I was surprised that you don't get taught any like, uh, indigenous languages. You don't get taught Cree, you know, you don't mm-hmm. get taught any indigenous languages here as part of the curriculum. So, of course, those languages are dying off, you know, like yeah. less and less yeah. people are speaking all the time. It's, it's not in our schools. Mm-hmm. Like uh, street signs or, um, you know, road signs and stuff in New Zealand all have the English and Maori term. Mm-hmm. New Zealand is the colonized name for New Zealand, but a lot of people use the word Aotearoa, which means um, land of the long white cloud. And so mm-hmm. there's lots of clouds in New Zealand. Um, so yeah, it's like, again, we have to look at the systems, like changing people is, 
kind of a temporary thing. If we if we change the systems, we change the policies and the power, those minds will change along with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That that just happens. So again, like changing minds is is a really hard battle. But I think if we put more energy into changing the systems, like that's true activism is changing the policy and right. stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Especially with, I, I find something that's really cool about indigenous culture is the way that they herald the earth, mm-hmm. and as just throughout the industrial revolution and colonization in that sense and how everything is now industrialized and it's really the only way that we can sit down and have this conversation which is really convenient but at the same time I do believe that there's some kind of marriage between those two ideas of a more environmental perspective as well as an industrialized perspective that can come together and I think that we're seeing that a little bit more now with um, people trying to take advantage of wind turbines and solar power and all these other things but i definitely think that adding more of an indigenous culture into our industrialization Mm -hmm. could in some way help us to be better heralds of the earth well then in indigenous culture the earth is our mother like yeah it is your your mother and you need to look after your mother Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful like you look into their culture and and uh like the argument over whether this is their land or not or, or you know these um land struggles it's like they just want to look care for the land and Mm -hmm. care for the animals care for our environment because you know it's all symbiotic Mm -hmm. so when i think there was a um i want to say it was in oklahoma or somewhere in the states where um indigenous people won the rights to the land and it's not like they're going to take over and move in like that's mm-hmm. not the culture the culture is to ca- care for the land like that's yeah. capitalist culture is we're going to move in we're going to take everything mm-hmm. you know they just want to care for the land and do what's best for the land and mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a beautiful thing man like, yeah yeah i agree and I, I was actually thinking the other day about uh in in white culture um like why are things named the way they are like i'm i'm pretty sure like a lot of like alberta is named after someone's like some royalty or like a person like mm-hmm. this entire province is named after a person who we don't even know yeah like uh yeah like um you have new england and you have all mm-hmm. these places that are named after just a person mm-hmm. but then when you look more into indigenous names and it's that's almost worldwide it's like named after what's in the place like yeah, a right. river or like you know the animals around like, yeah the long way it just, yeah, yeah. It, it speaks a lot to um like the individualism in in white culture it's like i want to i want to stamp my name on this thing whereas right. yeah. you know it's it's yeah i've been thinking about that a lot lately too that's yeah. a cool perspective yeah. actually i like that a lot you know that's sweet just thinking about it like I actually thought about it a bit as well with Africa and then looking at Western colonized places because when I look in the world, I was like, why is Africa a third world country? Like, why is classified as that? Mm-hmm. They fought for their rights because they knew that if they were colonized, they would be in the same situation. So they said no to everything. And then seeing that they're happy with the way they are, they, are. they live in the land of peace. And going back there a couple of years ago with my family, it was a surreal experience because it was like, this is where I was born. Like they care for the land, like the indigenous people. And they just have a way of saying, I'm okay with simplicity in life. And then coming back here, it started to like sit more and more like I'm living in a world kind of where 
everything is individualized and people are like saying i want to do this and i want to do that i want to be the best in the world and they don't really care for what's around them and what they see so yeah mm-hmm. is that your first time going back you went to sudan or uh sudan? so that was my second time going back um it was south sudan then before it was like sudan as one whole country mm-hmm. and then i also went to uganda where my mom's like village and it was an experience for sure because kind of seeing the people being happy with them getting an education even and not worrying about it and then like they don't know how to speak english they speak our home language which is cocoon and it's really interesting because when we're there we don't worry about like how do we make sure i succeed or this or that but more so like teaching people about our land and our culture so when they come back they're able to ingrain it with other people and it's pretty awesome to see it's there but it's also disappointing because when i'm here we don't see that with indigenous people we don't see that with black people in fact the first black person matthew the coast came to canada to talk with indigenous people and they were he was like the language barrier for that which shown that black people and indigenous people are more common than you think they're alike in so many ways and rather than taking their land we went back home and we went back to africa we wanted to have peace and we wanted to make sure they can live in peace and we didn't want to take anything from them whereas I see it, Caucasian people just want to reap and not like actually understand what they're doing to other people in a sense. Mm. Yeah. Do, do you guys know, but I just learned about this recently, but the, um, the, like what happened in Nova Scotia, I think it was in the 1800s, there's like, so slavery did exist in Canada and I think mm-hmm. it was quite popular there. And I think Matthew DeCoste did come through. He spoke seven languages. Like he spoke um, multiple indigenous languages. I think he spoke English, French. Like he helped white people communicate with indigenous people, which I think didn't end well for them, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, I, there's a huge population that went from, and man, I'm sorry if I screw this up, but it, I'm pretty sure it's from Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's a town there. I want to say it's called Fredericktown, but they um, all they all took on a ship and they went to I think Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. and there's still to this day a huge um, population in Sierra Leone that trace back to um, Nova Scotia and really in that that area because they had struck an agreement with the British government like we don't want to be slaves anymore mm-hmm. we're going to peace out and they actually said yes and they've said yeah you go ahead and created their own town um mm-hmm. and were self-sufficient like you know and that they, th- they were thriving yeah it's like again it's not like black people or indigenous people haven't tried to like go away and just do their own thing like black wall street and mm-hmm. and um there was even a, a town where um uh what's the huge central park in new york new york yeah they had a their own town there self-sufficient mm-hmm. um black wall street they get terrorized and and stuff by right? when 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 black people try and leave and become self-sufficient and create their own communities again like they can't be left alone mm-hmm. yeah. so what's left to do like that they, like they've tried everything you know what i mean yeah yeah it's crazy 
Well, that was, uh, have you seen Watchmen on HBO? Yeah, I That was like the premise of that show is that black people create their own little colony and they have their own little town and then white people come in and murder everyone and that kind of sparks the whole series of events. Mm -hmm. I I watched that and um, that was made obviously before this new movement and stuff and or refreshed movement, I guess. And uh, I have not read the book yet and I watched Watchmen I was like oh this is dope like they're yeah. fighting the KKK <laughs> like El Calvary is the same thing yeah. and then uh, Dr. Manhattan's black now and I was like this is cool like, yeah. uh, and it was just refreshing and then I went and bought the book and the book is have you read that too? No. no. I highly recommend you yeah. read Watchmen yeah, it's such a good book sweet yeah, yeah I'll, I'll jump on that yeah I what, what we were just talking what you were just talking about with uh, like recolonizing somewhere else and black and indigenous people leaving going elsewhere i think that was a really contentious issue in throughout the development of america as a country itself and i know that was somewhere that lincoln had a lot of personal qualms because he he was of either like he would speak about how recolonization and decolonization would potentially be better mm-hmm. and a lot of a lot of black people that did want to decolonize the states were or not decolonize but recolonize so I think Panama was an offer mm-hmm. um, Lincoln wanted to send people to Panama and they would create their own settlements and and it was this huge dispute between a, a lot of the times it was whether you were really black or not mm-hmm. if you if you left then you weren't really black and you didn't want to fight for the land of the free that you had helped to create as as a, as a prior slave or as someone who's come from slavery ancestry mm-hmm. so I think that was something that was a huge issue was the different perspectives between people and I think that's like a large portion of where coons came from mm. like that whole idea of being a, a fake black yeah. yeah like there's also like a debate within the black community colorism and I think that could have been a part with it as well just mm-hmm. because it's like if you're really really dark it's like you're associated more to doing like things like going to the field and that's what they did in slavery in the south and going to work for cotton and picking but if you were lighter like you looked like you could have been somewhat like white or of descended like half white half black family mm-hmm. then you would work in the house and that was like to make more of like segregation between us and create even this further divide mm. in that sense so yeah right I, I see that a lot in um in my Tongan culture too like fairer skinned like people want to be fairer skinned or like Mm -hmm. and again it just comes to like having a closer proximity to whiteness and Mm -hmm. it is really sad to see you know like it's Mm -hmm. has no your color of your skin has no effect on you know the rest of like your personality or the other things Mm -hmm. but it does affect your social status in so many different societies that was something I found out strange but like like super strange more strange than i could have anticipated about traveling through asia was that lots of times people wear umbrellas so that they don't get tans so people that are already of asian descent want to remain as fair-skinned as possible Mm -hmm. especially in korea i've heard that that's a huge yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of classism yeah Korean stuff yeah, yeah. to inform that but I did want to ask you about that like how was that whole trip it looked pretty spiritual it looked like yeah it was yeah. um it was interesting because I I I found that I experienced lots of perspectives that I hadn't yet um 
one of which being the female perspective of being objectified. Mm-hmm. I felt very objectified over there. People would walk past me and just like touch me, like random people. I'd be sitting down eating my lunch. Someone would just walk by and just like brush my arm or just like grab me on the shoulder, feel my hair and just keep walking and not acknowledge me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I understood more as, wow, that's, that's how females feel a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. They, they're objectified in that way as, as something that's more of an object for looking at and touching rather than mm-hmm. an actual human. And a lot of times I actually thought that people were attempting to pickpocket me. Like oh, kids okay. would just come over and like touch me and stuff. Yeah. And that is a common pickpocketing strategy is people will mm-hmm. touch you and that, that messes with your, um, your, your sensory motor system because you can't, you don't know where people are touching you because yeah. there's so many areas uh, like where you're being touched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting one. Um, there's always a tourist tax, which I found interesting. That was just an interesting dynamic of it. Uh, people would call it the white tax. Mm-hmm. Like if you're white, then you automatically get charged an extra 400% on stuff. And then you have to barter because so people will go to a store and if they're a local, then you'll see them pay a certain amount and then you'll be asked to pay an, an obscene amount more. Jeez. Yeah. Which it totally makes sense though, because they're like, we're injecting tons of, currency into their economy mm-hmm. and that's that's how they survive as a society is there there a lot of the infrastructure is developed for tourism and by tourism and mm-hmm. it's this cool ebb and flow that's actually building a, a higher rung on a social ladder for them and it's a, a socioeconomic not necessarily a social ladder but mm-hmm. their socioeconomic status is rising because of because of tourism but and, and then it wasn't just for white people it was like i met a few black people traveling there and a few other asian descent people but Lots of times people, you, you can just tell kind of who's part of your, your geographical, um, like peoples, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you can, people from Korea can tell, like yeah. people from Japan and China can tell that they're not each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's always this distinction. And so I found that really interesting was that there was this tourist tax and mm-hmm. there was this, this white tax. And that was something that I just full heartedly accepted because I was like, yes, I'm, I'm a, I'm a part of your economy now. Yeah. Like, and that's totally fine. Um, there, there were lots of things that I saw over there that I found really, really interesting. And a lot of it being cultural and how like the, the women will work a lot of the times. Um, the women work in the fields and the grandmothers will stay home and raise the children. And a lot of that came from wartime. Mm-hmm. because the men would go away to war mm-hmm. and then the women would work the rice paddies and and then from that it was this weird it, it turned into this weird masculine culture now where it's largely um, it's largely not masculine uh, what's the matriarchal it's largely matriarchal in that the women will control the household mm-hmm. and um, the men are now afforded the opportunity to get into the tourism sector a lot more mm-hmm. because they didn't really have a niche coming back from the war. So coming back from all the wars they fought, I mean, there were Cambodian genocides that I had never heard about over there, like the Popot genocides, and and that's something that I found that's something that I found equally interested in was that there wasn't I hadn't heard about horrible things that had happened to people over there yeah. and the Cambodian genocide being the largest one, but in that sense, a lot of those communities are now recovering from things like that. Like 
99% of doctors were wiped out. Jeez. Yeah. So, and that was also this interesting thing that I kind of connected dots with, with intersectionality mm-hmm. was that Pope Pot used intersectionality to massacre people because what, what happened was that he said, so he, so he put out these guidelines that if you fit in any of these categories, mm-hmm. then you are, then you're educated and educated people are looking to take away the culture and mm. in that sense they're looking to take away like your freedoms your heritage everything and that's how he killed people mm-hmm. but then once you look at the categories that he put people into it was things like soft skin if you wear glasses if you speak multiple languages and if you're religious and that's very subjective like there's no objectivity behind that like well, I mean, if you wear glasses. Well, if you wear glasses, that makes sense. I mean, if you have soft skin, that's definitely subjective. Yeah. I, I think that's a hormonal thing as well. Yeah. Like, I think that often we fall in love with people that their skin feels very soft. Mm-hmm. I think there's that hormonal relationship. But, but that was a way that you can't look at each of those and say that almost none of us would hit one of those. Mm-hmm. And that's how he was able to take anyone that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And, then, and that's, how he, that's how he constructed that genocide. Mm-hmm. was through that lens of intersectionality. Which, when I read about intersectionality, I, it, it made a lot of sense to me, and at the same time, I, that made even more sense to me. When did that all happen? Uh, 19... It's between the 1960s and 80s. That's so crazy. recently. Yeah. So <laughs> recently. Crazy. Yeah. And, like, 99% of doctors were murdered, and it was... You, you can go there and there, there are killing fields where you walk around and it looks like grassy knolls when it's in reality it's just bodies under dirt uh, and they have trees they, like there's something called the, the killing tree where because they wanted to they wanted to pull back on how much munitions they were using to kill people mm-hmm. basically what they would do is send you to a concentration camp school mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting because now like Apple um, Apple, like Macintosh Apple factories mm-hmm. are, they, they seem similar to the concentration camps. They'll have catching, like in the, so in Mac, yeah. they'll have, mm-hmm. they'll have nets to catch people if they try to kill themselves by jumping off. And in the same sense, they would put up barbed wire and they would torture people until they confessed to espionage. And then they would take them out to these killing fields and kill them. And they would have, they have this huge tree and it just has all of these beads on them mm-hmm. and each bead was from a kid because they wanted to reduce ammunition used on people they were killing so they would they would use stuff like palm trees and palm trees when they're first sprouting they have teeth like a saw and they would slit people's Jeez. throats with that Jeez. and they have this tree where they would grab a kid by the ankles and hit them on the head with this tree Jeez. yeah so they would just swing kids at trees and that's how they killed people and like like i said i didn't know anything about this place yeah. And they didn't teach anything about this place. Yeah. And, and now I know. And so there were lots of really crazy things that I learned over there that I now connect back to what's happening and yeah. looking at how far things are able to be taken mm-hmm. before they become too far and over the edge. Yeah. Like you waking up to all this. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Like, do you feel like, did you feel a lot of like anxiety? Did you, like, how do you, because it's almost better not knowing any, like, it's not better, but oh, you feel a lot better, you know for what sure. I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, for me personally, I think I took about a week because I did, 
So I did Cambodian killing fields in the, the school, the because con- they would turn schools into concentration camps. And they would, so S21 is the school that I went to. And so I went to S21, the killing fields, and the Vietnam War Museum in the span of a day, two days. And after that, I think it took me about two weeks. I'm My mental health is pretty ebb and flowy, especially with volleyball. I'm sure you guys know yeah, that yeah. as a student athlete, it's like... Oh, yeah. you, you hit a point where it's like and depression and yeah. severe anxiety and all these other things so for me it took quite a while to recover for that I think and I think that I started to look more into how we get into those things because I think that it starts off with appeasement and we end up running I forget who I read it from but it was this really cool quote of the man running towards the precipice doesn't see the fall so when you're running towards something, you don't see the ground slip out from under you. You just end up running off a cliff. And that's the same concept behind um, head smash buffalo jump. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a psychological concept that if you're running, you're not perceiving what's really in front of you far down the way. So I've now tried to look more analytically at the steps mm-hmm. rather than the large scale movement. Like what steps are going to lead to this and what steps are going to lead to this? Because I think that there are often there are often hints of where we're going in different places and like we can look back and I think that's a really unfortunate thing about the schooling system is that they're not comfortable enough to teach about slavery and genocide and like indigenous genocide um, the genocide that came from USSR like Soviet Russia communism mm-hmm. and the fascism in World War II Germany and Cambodia and, and, and exactly right there, there, there are all these steps that seem to be relatively consistent to me that, that people aren't getting educated on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's something that I'm now a lot more analytical about. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's changed like how you interact with people? I know that this movement for me is, has really changed how I interact or how I see things. Like, you know, when I, I see someone struggling out on the street or on the train, uh, like, I, I think a lot of times before it would be like an annoyance and now mm-hmm. I have a, I guess the word would be compassion like way more compassion for these people yeah. mm-hmm. do you think that that's happened for you too like you just yeah, yeah. I um, I was recently at a beach with my girlfriend and she was laying down on this knoll and behind her was a bench that was empty and I went off to the bathroom and when I came back there was this guy sitting on the bench and he was so he, she was turned around and he was sitting on this bench and mm-hmm. as he was, as I was coming back, he was talking about, he was basically saying, Oh, that's your boyfriend. When he gets here, he's going to try to kick my ass, but I'm, I'm going to beat the shit out of him with this, this bike handle that I have. And I'm going to like, I'm going to bash his teeth in. And, and I got there and she was like, we should leave. So we packed everything up and walked over and some, a, f- a few people came by that were, um, they were overlooking the beach and walking back and forth, just doing COVID protocol, telling people to social distance, all this stuff. And, and to my estimation, I think he was paranoid schizophrenic. And, and the way that I saw that was that it's not the schizophrenia that caused that delusion that I was going to come and kick his ass, but it was his prior experiences. And to call the police would be the worst thing that you could do. And there are lots of things to not do in those situations, but I think that a lot of the times people's pasts influence the way they are now. Obviously that's the case, but in that particular circumstance it was that it made me feel bad almost mm-hmm. that he felt that way that I was coming to attack him because 
at that point, I knew that he had been attacked that way before mm -hmm. because of the way that he was. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I'm much more compassionate in that sense that I'll try to understand people's pasts without having to actually get to know them. Mm -hmm. And and that, that's actually something that I came to more recently after I think after our conversation yeah I used to take walks at night all the time mm -hmm. and and then I and then 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 I, I stopped doing it because at some point I realized that people would cross the street to avoid me especially girls yeah um, and then I thought to myself I feel that I, I, I feel that that's warranted to some extent because I'm a large individual mm -hmm. and obviously girls have some reason to be afraid of men especially at night they tend to be more neurotic than men mm -hmm. which is understandable because I I possess much more control in that situation than they do yeah. and then the more that I thought about it the more I thought well if I were a person of color then it, that would be something added on to that mm -hmm. is that it's not just because I'm I'm a large human being but it's also because I'm black or indigenous and that that adds an aspect of fear to them and then in that way my perception of myself would change mm -hmm. and so that was that was some some in component intersectionality that I discovered about myself that I was like wow that's like that's something that colored people have to deal with all the time is anything that happens to them there's a component of race added to it yeah and just thinking about that it's not also us but like showing that we have fear for them and they're like staying away from us but it's the same thing we're in fear as well when we're walking the streets because when i was talking to you a couple weeks ago you heard about like what happened i got punched like right in the eye when i was coming back from a practice and studying at mount royal and late night like around 11 30 p.m and i just sit there because it's like imagine if that was some random man who did not give a shit of who i was but just thought because i would look like someone and kept hitting me like I could have died at that moment or it could mean a policeman and I could have gone to jail just because oh I'm a student athlete it doesn't matter you're black and it's like walking around the streets and being like I have to keep a caution like whenever I'm walking looking around and making sure that you're safe all the time and I think for this movement and when we started the group as well safety was one our biggest concern because a lot of these people have these stories but they keep it inside of them because they don't know who to speak to and being in a team of full of white people, like when I told them the next day about what happened, like they were like, oh, Godie's just being goofy and laughing. But like at that moment, it was like I was serious and I needed to talk to people. I needed that like comfort of knowing that somebody was there to listen to what I was doing. And when I saw that, it's like I'm not very going to express like express my stories again or like what happened to me because I don't want to have that same experience where like something serious I need to tell them. They just laugh it off because it's Gody or he's a laughable guy, he's this black goofy person when that's not me, like I have more to me than just me making jokes all the time. Yeah, it, it sucks that uh, a guy like Gody A doesn't feel safe out on the streets and then doesn't feel safe on his own team, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so when we like we've had a few we've had a couple meetings here uh, in this living room um, just with um, mainly black and indigenous student athletes and then the white student athletes that have been here have just listened like don't really talk or anything just mm -hmm. absorb it all in and when we sit here and talk like man we talk for hours we talk yeah. for hours the first one was like four to five hours mm -hmm. and of those of those five hours it was 
almost completely filled up with people just sharing their experience like this happened to me but I can't believe that happened to you because this happened to me as well mm -hmm. and then maybe half an hour of it was like okay let's start this and let's call it the UBIA like and that, let's get more people and we had another meeting it was pretty funny like my friend Danica was just in town and she called me like hey I'm with a couple guys like we're trying to hang out and I was like oh you guys want to come over and play some spike ball and then it's like we have a UV, yeah we have a UBIA meeting after if you guys want to stay she didn't tell them mm -hmm. those three guys are all indigenous like yeah. they grew up on the reserve and um they're like oh this is why you brought us aid and like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like we're we're reeling them into our cult but yeah. you shut me up yeah but you know they were a little hesitant at the start and then we all started speaking and it usually starts with like we we chose our president john smith he's a basketball player at state and mm -hmm. um he grew up in the states and and has a lot of experience but also just highly educated on the topic his sister is a criminal lawyer a criminal defense lawyer in the states and she's um completely specializes in this stuff so cool um he usually opens it up with and I would love if the mic picks up on my dog the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> <him> for pets. <laughs> but uh, he kind of opens it up and, and says like, hey, this is, this is something that happened to me. And um, I think that opens the floor up for people. Mm -hmm. a, a big problem, like even Godi just saying now, like uh, speaking to his teammates, like he's feeling some pain and he wants to just express himself or just speak and mm -hmm. just wants to be heard and listened to and people of color are just aren't given that opportunity mm -hmm. um and it's just nice man like it, it is at the end of it we're all kind of like wow this feels great just people just want to be heard and be listened to and mm -hmm. um so that's like uh, that's our huge thing is having that safe space mm -hmm. which is real. i realize is way harder than um, expected like even I, I try message athletes that I know that are of color and like hey we're having this meeting like come through I think everyone wants to join in and, like, mm -hmm. a lot of people don't like we, we haven't had as many people as you know the, the people that we have we, it's awesome mm -hmm. but I I've, when I have these when we have these meetings I've sent that invite out to actually a lot of people yeah, yeah we, from that like we, we get a handful but the handful we get it's like Oh, these are the people that are willing to talk, feel safe to talk. There are people who, you know, they've experienced this their whole life. They're tired. They're like, I don't want to do this. And that's mm -hmm. totally fine. Like, we shouldn't expect them to. Mm -hmm. But that change is still, uh, like, we're still trying to push that change for those people. Yeah. So, yeah. I definitely, my mind works a lot quantitatively. Like, mm -hmm. I love looking at numbers and data sets and understanding that. And I think that there's a... I think that over time, that I think there's going to be a cool marriage of qualitative and quantitative, mm -hmm. especially about this topic. And I think that with the group that you guys have, it would be really interesting to see how the quantitative data that you guys are collecting works with qualitative experiences. Mm -hmm. And I do think that one of the most important things that you can do for any group is to build community where everyone feels safe. Mm -hmm. And that is almost probably one of the hardest things to do is because because it starts with the vulnerability and yeah. one person has to be vulnerable and everyone has to in some way accept and then reciprocate vulnerability and and that's super hard to cultivate yeah. and it's why I, I think that's why a lot of the times religion seems to perpetuate through society is because it builds community where people can feel heard and understood and there are parables mm -hmm. to help people and mm -hmm. 
And I think that what you guys are doing is just creating your own community, which mm-hmm. is super duper cool. Maybe we'll create a religion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I think as well, though, like by having this, a lot has been revealed. Like every before the movement and like looking now, like a lot of things have changed for me, like personality wise, but also with people and like how I perceive things now. Like I've lost probably 75% of my friends just based on this alone because the situation was that they didn't want to change and or they wanted me to explain everything for them and i don't want to put that emotional availability or like have my mental capabilities go down because somebody needs to hear what has been happening for such a long time and they could have the effort to be doing that so by losing those people i was like never felt remorse like it just felt like i was having something lifted off my shoulders almost and i think Tyler probably experiences as well. Like, you're not speaking to your teammates yeah, anymore. It's not that I'm not well, speaking. It's I'm not putting in any more effort with those guys. That yeah. When it was clear, it was just so clear that um, there were people going through pain. Like people um, on our team, like myself and Jeff Carrios, who's um, Filipino. Like, I think it was a big awakening for him too like hey i've been experiencing this on our team mm-hmm. for the years that i've been at state for the years i've been playing volleyball volleyball is such like a white dominant sport yeah. um but you know i've just he's he's just put up with it he's just rolled with the punches with the racist jokes you know mm-hmm. and um um i forgot to say uh yeah it's when when this all happened and we were being so vocal on social media it's pretty obvious who cared and who, who didn't mm-hmm. like white privilege in itself is just seeing this whole uh, movement and being like yeah that really sucks for them I'm gonna go I don't know go for a hike you know what I mean like, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go play golf yeah and th- yeah th- there was a lot of performative allyship and people just posting because they're bandwagoning mm-hmm or going to events and just say, I went here, so yeah. I'm an owl, and I just sit here like... And we saw that in our group too, man, mm-hmm. like we, we did, and... Like, everyone is at their own level, like, you know what I mean? Everyone's, not everyone's gonna be there right away. Mm-hmm. And that's frustrating, but also, I don't have, like, we're not gonna give time to the, these people that aren't there yet you know what I mean yeah like, there are people that could be babied in but do we need to baby them in to like realize people are dying because of racism like ah, no yeah you know hopefully they get there on their own or other white people educate other white people but I think uh, there was a huge problem with all these white people going to their black friends and being like hey what can I do mm-hmm. or like Hey, I didn't know about this. I like, you know, just taking more, so you're taking more energy from them, taking more energy from them. Like, um, I know when I talked to Godi, like the first time he came over, he was just tired and he's exhausted. Yeah. So like them saying, I'm sorry all the time. Just yeah. Gave me like a short fuse because it was like that reality of almost being like, what are you sorry for? Like. I didn't experience racism as bad as the people that I've seen 
back in the day when in the 60s and the 70s where some of them were actually getting killed by KKK members or they were putting incarcerations on black people or like just because of mm-hmm. their race and it's like you shouldn't be sorry for me and like what's happening but you should be educating and like stopping systemic racism from happening and it's like them educating themselves and seeing like it could be undone because systemic racism was taught like at a young age and you saw the video on social media of the kid like the black kid and the white little kid they were running on the street mm-hmm. and they're hugging each other um, just seeing that it proves that it's taught it's not something that's just inherently born out of people so if we're un- able to undo it and then teach them that it's okay that everybody is different and everybody can be themselves and there shouldn't be any judgment whatsoever then that should be a good thing and make change permanent mm-hmm. yeah I think studies have shown like kids show early signs of racism as early as like two or three yeah yeah um, with allocating different funds to yeah. white and black people yeah and yeah that's how like their cycle developments almost like start forming that's like when they see things and that that's when they start to pick up like that this is a good thing or this is a bad thing mm-hmm. and that's like the most critical time to teach them almost like what's good and what's not yeah it, it's like the there's an analogy uh, not analogy but like a hypothetical in um, white fragility where there's like a mom and her a white mom and her uh, her child Mm -hmm. and um the child says oh look mom that that man has black skin Mm -hmm. and the the mom would be like don't say that don't say that but if the the child was to say um look mom that man's so handsome then the mom would laugh it off and be like oh that's so cute and so the kid is kind of taught that black is negative right and there's just like small things that condition children to mm-hmm. think this way and mm-hmm. not even to mention what's on the tv and stuff yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like the image of black people on tv is such a stereotype of not even black people like so many different oh, things oh man going back 10 years and watching any comedy or any stand-up or anything <laughs> yeah. like the language that people use and every, everything about it it's it watching old old tv and old movies is really crazy yeah yeah, I'm a huge fan of stand-up, and, mm-hmm. you know, um, political correctness is a huge topic on a lot of mm-hmm. comedians' podcasts and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like, this is ridiculous, like, what can we say, but I that that's one thing I'm still really trying to figure out is what can we joke about and when, because, right. mm-hmm. um, you know, it depends on who you're around, you do have to read the room, but mm-hmm. I do like to have some objectivity you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's been a tough one for me, you know, and I've kind of said I will, I'm kind of at the point I'll never make any jokes about race in front of white people or mm-hmm. laugh at them. Um, and then with my friends who are of color, like we already have a dynamic, you know, but would I do that around? I don't know. It's, it's such a, it's such a tricky one that mm-hmm. I've, I've had conversations with people and it's like, what can we joke about? It's like, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see stand-up comedy kind of adapt as well. Like I know I've heard recently, like on podcasts, them saying, well, well, like making these reasonings for why things, like why they can joke about race and stuff mm-hmm. or, you know, um, about disabled people and stuff. Yeah. But then when you're around those people, like disabled people or around black people like you would never make that joke in front of them totally mm-hmm. 
So I think we'll see it evolve. Like it's already evolved over the last, like you said, 10 years as yeah. well. But it's a tricky subject. I don't think even just stand-up comedy, I think shows in general, because 10 years ago when we were like young kids, we would see all those shows like on Family Channel or like Teletoon where they were like very like cult multicultural. Mm-hmm. And like there was like a show, Proud Family. Oh, all oh, the characters right. were like either of like race and color. And there was like one person like, who was white and like that group there and i was like that's amazing to see that and now looking at these shows now it's all white people or people from european countries and you just sit there like worth the black representation in that and you can also see in netflix like they're making a lot of shows black people in a negative way or like showing like this is what they are they do drugs or they're negative and then you see all these white shows and they're making people thinking that white people are the best or superiority and it's just like no 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 like that's not how life works and it's a shift almost like there's racism evolving in that and it should stop kind of almost in a way i feel like there is more of an more of an effort from hollywood and mm-hmm. I, I think it's taken a little bit while but people are calling things out a little bit more blatantly which is super cool yeah um, I think it was Ricky Gervais that did the most recent, I want to say Emmys. Emmys yeah. Mm-hmm. But he just absolutely shredded everyone. He's and then be- it, he, oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, and everything was like so perfectly timed. And at one point the camera like pans out and Ricky's like, look at all the black people in the, in the audience. Yeah. And that's all white people. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that there is more, I think there's more awareness, yeah. especially, mm-hmm. especially in the past few months. Like you said, since George Floyd, that was just a, something that happened that's been happening for a while that now everyone's everyone saw it everyone mm-hmm. was a part of it there wasn't anybody that didn't know what was happening i think it was the largest the largest worldwide protest yeah. in the history of the world yeah. mm-hmm. and i think that speaks to the development of culture that we're kind of going through mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's yeah it, it's crazy man like I, I i can see people starting to wake up and um Again, like I'm new to this, but uh, John Smith, I've I've known for like four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on the on the basketball team, and and he's been posting this stuff since I've known him, since I've had him on social media. His story has been a bunch of dots, and it's been like you know education pieces, mm-hmm. or like I don't I don't know if wokeness is the right word, but you know this is happening to black people. Mm-hmm. And now everyone else is doing that too, but he's always he's always been doing it. But even you know, even I would see these and I'd be like, "Oh man, that's a little much. That's a bit of a stretch." You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now I, I I'm just like looking back at all these things and I'm like, and I you know this is happening. This mm-hmm. is happening blatantly in our faces, but it it suits us more. It is more comfortable to think, like you said, ignorance is bliss. That mm-hmm. it's that it's not happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and at the same time, yes, pe- so many people are waking up, but at the same time, you know, Godi's post, Godi's on the, on the, the news online mm-hmm. and there's 600 odd comments and, you know, I don't know, I want to guess like 70% of them are racist, ignorant comments, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and these aren't just, these aren't people in the KKK, these are regular ass people that are walking around Calgary, you yeah. know what I mean? The, like some of them they these really, might be my neighbors mm-hmm. you know like all your guys neighbors they like some of them were just like why and they're like go back to your native country go to the university of ghana or wherever and i'm just sitting there like 
so you're telling me to stay in Canada. That's what I'm hearing. And I laugh it off because it's like, it doesn't affect me no longer. Like it took some time for me to like develop like that kind of like rough. Okay. Like they're being racist. So whatever, move along and like push through and like making sure change is apparent. And you kind of see that every day because people are like, why are they getting all the attention? Like white people are just like saying, why is there special needs for black people? How about like white fragility and like how our needs and how racism works? Like that's not the case. Like white people don't get racism because they don't get racist attacks. They don't get called out names. Like I've heard people call me monkey or ape or gorilla, like stuff like that. And it's just like, you're kind of putting me like an animal where if I said something, it would not be the same way, but you would have said, oh, that's the most racist thing. And I'm like, you're using that as a way of like escaping or saying I'm special too when that doesn't work out like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, moving forward, we, I think it's tough. Like we, we all had a break, but I think slowly we're, um, we're trying to figure out our main mission like uh, we originally wanted to change the schools in Calgary change the policies there and then mm-hmm. and then I said you know screw that let's go after the, the whole country but you know we still have to realize we are still young adults mm-hmm. or I don't know what a young adult is but we're all in our 20s <laughs> and we're all figuring out what we want to do after our after our college careers and stuff mm-hmm. and you know like these guys are going to be going back training soon i'm moving across the world to play and we need to see what's realistic for us and i think it would be something closer to home in western canada you know implementing that that safe space at every institution so Mm -hmm. that bipoc athletes can come together and and speak and then um is that really good i don't know but yeah that I mean just having that at, at every school would mm-hmm. be dope and then having a BIPOC committee in the department so not student athletes like an actual committee um, so that student athletes can mm-hmm. be successful BIPOC student athletes can be successful yeah so it's not just one worldview uh, and then yeah we, we have some calls to actions that we're, we're that we're writing up and, yeah um, well that might be my parents that might be my dog, my mom I think okay yeah we'll, we'll wrap it up <laughs> yeah but um, yeah I think like we spoke to Kobe he actually mm-hmm. came to one of our meetings and just hearing him and like hearing everything that's going along and just understanding who like what's going on I think change is gonna happen mm-hmm. it's inevitable ever since George Floyd has happened yeah the change is bound to happen yeah and I think it's gonna be great because now we're seeing people are being more aware like tyler said and we're trying to make the change close to like within western canada so like canada west and like the ecac and the pac west Mm -hmm. and like getting people to talk within their schools so it's like having representatives from u of a representatives from like ubc from tru and like etc yeah was that Cody's mom? Yeah, yeah it was. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's kill it there. And thanks for thanks a ton for being on, guys. I'll make sure to put anything that you guys want into the link for this, mm-hmm. and that way people have resources. Like that's that's why I'm doing this. Um, this conversation freaks me out a lot as someone that's Caucasian, obviously, and I have 
lots of privileges as like a tall Caucasian blonde hair blue eye I run down the list of it and so that it, it freaks me out to have these conversations because of the the perceived white privilege and mm-hmm. the the real the reality of privilege in itself and I think that everyone experiences privilege to a different extent and I've been rife with it um, not to say my life has gone without suffering but it is something that I take into account and the only thing that scared me more than having this conversation itself was that nobody else was going to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I would really like to have people, like you say, people being able to educate themselves and finding their own resources and mm-hmm. being able to look past themselves and like you've said, how people don't, people want to stay in their conservative bubbles and they don't want to seek out change and, peop- and biopic doesn't want to pull people in that doesn't want to be a part of it. So... I'm hoping to, in some way, make it more accessible, mm-hmm. and that's kind of my main hope. So thanks a ton for being a part of it, guys. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, fellas. Yeah.